0: Our text this morning is Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, and then 6, 1 through 20. I'm just going to read um, from chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. For this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. First time I spoke... About Jesus was in uh, 1995 um, to the youth group that I attended at the time, and it was very brief. 1997, I began uh, leading a small group of men opening the word together. and um, I remember one time they were so frustrated with me, they were all wearing hats, which I probably should have realized was odd, and they all threw their hats at me. Around 2001, I began teaching regularly when I became a youth director and intern in the director. And the first time I preached a full sermon was in 2004. And what I remember was, up until about 2005 or 2006, I was positive I could preach better than in, almost anyone I was listening to. From about 2005 until uh, 13 or 14, I was confident that I could never preach as well as Tony Evans or Tim Keller. Now, I don't really listen to other preachers, and I just I pray I study the text, I listen to all of you, and then we do our best together. And I say that because chapters 5 and 6, and I'll I'll read the part of chapter 5 that I didn't read a minute ago, in a minute, they invite us to a maturity. And in watching my stages, relatively speaking, of knowledge of the Scripture, which the writer alludes to but doesn't particularly value, um, the text is inviting us to maturity. I kind of think sometimes that, that we think that we should know this stuff by now, right? That we should have all those categories that the, that the writer mentioned down. You catch them all in, in verse 2? We'll come back and look at those in just a minute. But I think this text is, is asking something different. I think it's inviting something different. And there's a lot of disagreement about chapter 5, and I'll come back to that. But what's, what's clear is the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews in chapters 5 and 6, is inviting us into maturity. Now, the the disagreement is about whether the group is mature or not already. In chapter 5, he says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Harsh language, right? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. Not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by the constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I don't know which one of those you want. Those are my deviled eggs, by the way. I made those, took, took that picture. I've been encouraged by some to use pictures I've taken myself, which is terrifying because I'm not a good photographer. But those deviled eggs were good. And if I have a choice between eating some of those, and they're just an appetizer and going on milk for the day I want to choose the food. The writer of Hebrews is is using, I mean, you, you could argue that he is using shame, irony, and sarcasm to push these people towards maturity. So the text not only matures us, but it humbles us. the the sarcasm is as i think saying that they are no longer mature but alluding to their maturity he's using irony and shame to motivate these folks he uses a series of metaphors about the christian about uh, the crucifixion about farming it's a very aggressively styled teacher and one of the things that's interesting to me about that today is well First of all, he's more aggressive than I am. So maybe I have something to learn directly as a preacher um, from the book of Hebrews. But also, it's very challenging to know how to do church in 2020. We have constraints of space. We have constraints of desiring to follow the government unless they tell us we need to worship them. We're literally getting new information every week, sometimes More information, sometimes differing information. We're longing for those of you that participate online to feel comfortable and fed and in a sense of community. And then those that are willing and interested and comfortable coming to the later service, we want that to be different. And so we've made a series of choices, and I don't know if they're the right ones. For about 25 reasons, we've talked to a lot of different people. Um, There was a team working on this, and our elders were working on this. But the goal is the same as it was in 2019. But the, but the venue is different, isn't it? It's challenging. And many of you have encouraged us about some of our decisions. Many of you have pointed out the things that are challenging to you about that. We would still like your feedback. We may ask that you give us the benefit of the doubt in giving us that feedback a little bit. Maybe ask some questions. Um, but the goal is that we trust the Holy Spirit As it matures us in corporate worship, in confession and prayer, in the reading of and learning from the text. There are a number of things about this uh, section of Hebrews that were challenging to me over the last couple of months. I read it for the first time thinking about preaching on it last year. And this section right here could sound, taken out of context, like the writer of Hebrews is saying, once someone falls away from faith, they're gone. And that's it. I don't think that's what the writer's getting at, because in verse 2, he says this. Here's what we're not going to talk about. I'll read it directly, and then I'll, I'll explain to you how I understand it. Let's lay it in verse 1 verse 2. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. That's the first thing that we're not going to be talking about. The second is, and of instruction about washings, probably a reference to baptism. The laying on of hands which is probably a reference to a wider category of spiritual gifts, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal punishment. So those are the things we're not going to talk about, according to this writer. And I think that's fascinating because, um, boy, those things seem very important, aren't they? Why wouldn't the writer want to talk about them? Why would he say we are going to talk about them if time allows, basically? It's because he's going to contrast something. When I was in a seminary, one of my professors um, gave out warm fuzzies. If he thought you did a really good job thinking about something, I had seven classes with him. I believe he gave out six. I got one. I'll show it to you if you ever want to see it. I meant to bring it today. My cat. Anytime I get it out, I still have it, over ten years ago, my cats always want it, right? Because it's an actual warm fuzzy. And he was really fond of this statement, don't hear what I'm not saying. The writer of Hebrews in, in the end of verse 1 and verse 2 is saying, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not about to talk about this because then we could misunderstand him to be speaking about salvation. Instead, he's giving an encouraging word through aggressive language and shame about something else. The point of verses 1 through 9 is verses 10 and 11. Verse 10 says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. That's why he writes so aggressively. That's why he tells the metaphor of the cross, not because he believes the cross didn't happen. That's why he tells the metaphor of you as a farm. Because the point is something more like the community of the people of God is of incredibly greater importance than... Making sure we all agree on these points of doctrine. And I think the metaphors serve us to, to understand something that we know to be true, but it's challenging. If you are a member of this church and you've been here for five years, you have begun to bear good fruit in the community. And that's not, and by that I mean this church. And that's not the only thing Christians do, but it's a very important thing that Christians do. If our, if our uh, uh, vision is worship and community, in faithful presence, we're talking mostly about the second one. Okay? If you've been a member here for five years and you move away for ten or simply stop coming to church for ten years and then you come back, is there any fruit left of the work that you did in the community? Maybe. But not nearly as much as there would be if you're here for fifteen years. Praying with folks, serving folks when and where you can Uh, learning your spiritual gift set and your calling within the church community and moving into that. The writer of Hebrews is noticing these people who I think, he thinks, are mature but aren't acting mature by serving one another within the church. The church community is profound and what happens within it is something that's invisible. But your small acts of faith on behalf of the church community in this context... Meet up with the faithfulness of God and produce healing and kingdom benefits for the people that you go to church with. So I'm going to make this real practical and real mundane. Here are three ways that we can beautifully serve the community of God. And if you're already involved with one of these ministries, and I'll explain why men's ministry is up there because that's more community, but give me a second. If you're already involved with one of these, once a year then be encouraged. Some of you have more time than that. I'm going to leave that for uh, the Holy Spirit and you look at your calendar and all that. But if you're already involved with the prayer ministry, with our deacon ministry or with men's ministries, and I don't mean if you are a deacon, I mean supporting them, then great. Be encouraged. I think the writer of Hebrews would say, you already understand what I'm getting at in in chapter 6. Be encouraged. But if you're not, here are three options. The reason men's ministry is up there is because there's a ministry uh, called uh, Build and Repair Network that reaches out to people that are are shut-ins or have trouble uh, getting work done around their house or widows. And 11 times a year they get together, and maybe you could help once or twice. Maybe you can't be on a team regularly. But that's the work of the church, taking care of one another as an alternative community. There's so many Christians on the right and on the left talking about all the problems in the world, and I, for the most part, kind of agree with them when they're talking about specific problems of the world. But sometimes they imply that Christians are supposed to be opposed to that. That might be true depending on what you're talking about and how you're talking about it, but more specifically to the New Testament, we are to be an alternative community that, among other things, knows how to and is willing to take care of one another. And you might think it's insignificant if you're good at writing cards to periodically write a card after someone submits a public prayer request and to to actually pray for them by writing. But it's not. I have heard hundreds of stories of those cards coming at the perfect time, of those cards being so warm and encouraging. You might think it's insignificant to make a meal. Unless you've gone through a season where you couldn't figure, it was so, where you've gone through a season where it was so lovely that there was one less thing to think about. And there was a pot roast or whatever, salsa chicken. It may seem insignificant to us, but in the invisible kingdom, when the saints learn to care for one another, it's incredibly fruitful. And it shows that the work of Christ was not in vain to use the two illustrations that the writer of Hebrews gives. So those are all the things that the writer is not talking about. and He moves us on to understanding how these things affect us today. Jim, you can go ahead and just put it on me. In verse 13 of chapter 6, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore to himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all of their disputes an oath is final for confirmation, which we can still see in elementary schools and middle schools and in arguments amongst people of all ages today. behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The writer of Hebrews is referencing a very interesting chapter in the Old Testament. In, in, a, in a broad sense, he's referencing the promises to Abraham, Genesis 12, 15, and 17. More specifically, he's referencing the Lord's words to Abraham in Genesis 22. Known as either the binding or the sacrifice of Isaac. Isaac wasn't wasn't sacrificed, but Abraham didn't know. And the writer of Hebrews, again, very aggressive, beautiful sermonic letter style, is doing a number of things at the same time. He believes that it's a true story. He believes that Abraham is also both a model and a metaphor for us about trusting faith in God. I also think God was beginning to model an alternative for community for Abraham then. A resident of Canaan would not be at all surprised. I'm I'm now assuming you're familiar with the story. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. He didn't let him sacrifice him, but he told him to do it, and Abraham obeyed. The best teaching I've ever heard on this is by Angie Smith, the If Gathering a number of years ago. She gave us a Christological Christological center of it that's correct and true and good. The Jesus Storybook Bible covers it really well. This particular chapter in the Bible uh, birthed existentialism, so you can either be mad at it or happy about that, because of the dread that Abraham must have experienced. This is the book Fear and Trembling by Soren Kierkegaard. God didn't allow Abraham to do it, but wanted to show him how much Abraham already trusted him, and he was beginning to show him an alternative community, because no one in Canaan would be surprised at a God who said, sacrifice your children. The alternate religions of that time practiced, practiced this regularly. So that's me attempting to broadly catch you up on the writer of Hebrews quoting Genesis 22. The point is, for us, it will be mysterious, very challenging, and sometimes frightening to trust Jesus Christ with our heart and with our decisions. In many ways, this is a, a flourish opportunity to either follow Christ or follow self. And the writer of Hebrews doesn't even spend any time talking about following self. He goes to verses 18 and 19 to help us understand that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. Hebrews expects you to know your Bible really well. And Word on the streets, Rebecca Live. If you stayed with us, thank you for staying with us. If you never lost us, thank you for staying with us. Wrapping up point three, the text matures, the Holy Spirit through the text matures and humbles us today. Listen again to verse 18b and 19. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So the this, the thing that we have that the writer of Hebrews is so interested in us being encouraged by is hope. What is hope? It's a living confidence in who Jesus is and the promises that he's made. And the scriptures talk about this a lot, and I wonder if you can make a list of the promises that you have in Christ. And for me, it's different texts that help me with this, but let me go to one that I think you know, and look at it with me if you would. This is the old language. I think the, the, the newer language might be more helpful for us, but our Father, that's, two, that's at least two promises, maybe three, that he is ours and we are his That he's her father. There have been two. There have not been two more two more comforting words to me when praying for other people than those two. Who art in heaven, reflected in Hebrews six, talked about in Ephesians. Yet here it is again in the Lord's prayer. It's a promise of where Jesus is, and that encourages us because we know He can see, and we know it won't always be that way. Hallowed be Thy name. Another promise that we have the name of God, that the name of God is holy. Promise that his kingdom will come and in the meantime the places where we have power our kingdoms are becoming more like his he provides for us daily and that even reminds us of the resurrection anyone familiar with the book of exodus who prays give us this day our daily bread remembers that God's a rescuer and he's a forgiver and he helps us to forgive others and restore relationships and he protects us. If you know the Lord's Prayer, you know over a dozen of the promises of God. The writer of Hebrews is reminding you that you have those promises as a sure and steadfast anchor to the soul. The text humbles us. The text, the Holy Spirit, through the text, matures and humbles us today and eternally. You know, the writer of Hebrews is pretty comfortable with sarcasm and with shame and with irony, I think, in the uh, end of chapter 5. Maybe he'd use all caps if he was an email writer at this point. Maybe he'd yell. I don't like to yell. I don't know how to use all caps. I wonder if he'd get into the sound effects and, and, you know, the different ways of sending texts on an iPhone. Would he be one of those guys who's like, I always send it with balloons or explosions or fireworks or something like that? Instead of that, though, he's really direct. That, and, and, and a flourishing kind of a writer. That we are to be so encouraged that we don't give up caring for one another. I believe that's what this whole section is about. The end of chapter 5, through all the way through chapter 6, is an encouragement to us to care for one another. And that's a big deal. The small acts of faith that you make... In your faith community, as they meet up with the Holy Spirit's power in the kingdom that is invisible to us, are incredibly powerful. They produce fruit beyond the imagination, to use the metaphor that he used in the middle of chapter 6. The writer is fully expecting that this encourages us. That we know that we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul and is based on our Christian hope what is Christian hope it is a living confidence something that actually doesn't move though our mind may doubt though our heart may be troubled it actually doesn't move that Jesus is who he says he is that he is where he says he is and that he will never break covenant with us Would you pray with me? Father, we praise and thank you that we have your hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We praise and thank you that you love us and that that love can never be taken from us. And we ask, Lord, that you help us to trust you especially in this imperfect community of faith that is still your bride. Amen.